So how are we doing, Metro? Boy, am I glad to see you at both of our campuses or whether you're watching us on this little thing they call the World Wide Web. We are super glad that you're here. And get this, I think that you are in the right place. I think you're in the right place. I think you're in the right place to take that next step with God. And I get it, we're all, we're all at different places and we come here from different points of views and different experiences and different struggles. But I think that if your heart is open, you're in the right place to take a next step with God, to, to, to move forward with him, no matter where you've been, no matter what the struggle is. And uh, did you know that we're in a brand new series around here called Behind the Scenes, right? So last week, all the smart people, I asked in the room, I said, who's excited about this? And all the smart people said, well, I don't know if I should be excited because I don't know what it's about. But now that you know what it's about, anybody excited about this little series we're calling Behind the Scenes? Yeah, I hope so, but just in case uh, you aren't up to speed on what's going on, let me just tell you what, what, what's happening. This little series called Behind the Scenes is about the church, and I mean the capital letter C church and the little church, our little local church. It's about the church and how the church has never been built on the giftedness of one person who stands on the stage. It's never been built around, nor should it be built around, the giftedness of a select few, but by the sacrifices of many. It takes this behind-the-scenes army to move the gospel forward, to, to become all that God wants us to become. It's going to take all of us getting in to the game. The church works, and the church works best, and the gospel goes forward when you and I get into the will of God, when we start to realize that, that God has called us to be more than just sideline spectators, but called us to actually get into the game. Now, that's the plan, by the way. That, that church won't be just something that you come and see, but that church would be something that you engage with, that it becomes who you are and that you become the church. That's the plan. That's it. That's the whole plan. Y'all with me on that? That's the whole deal. Because uh, and if you're not on board with that plan, you're not on board with God. Oh, Jay, why do you have to say stuff like that? That is so harsh. That is so out. You're going to push people away. No, no, no. Hear me out. Listen, friends. Let me tell you something. The plan of God, the will of God, is that a whole bunch of faceless nobodies get to do something extraordinary, get to become somebody extraordinary because they do what anybody could have done if they simply let God use them. That is the will of God. That is the plan of God. And people say all the time, uh, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I'm telling you what the will of God is. Get onto the plan. Let God use you. That is the will of God for your life. Well, I don't know what car to buy. I don't know if I should get like the SUV or like the minivan, but the SUV makes me so much cooler. I mean, it is like way hipper than the minivan, but the minivan's practical and I do got three kids and the minivan gets better gas mileage. And I think, I just don't know, God, would you give me wisdom? God, I don't know, should I get the one with leather or not leather? What should I do here, God? I'm not sure. God, please tell me your will. God, should I get the model with like one screen in the back or do all four of my kids need a screen in the back? God, just tell me, if you just tell me, my life would be way, way better. And God's saying, I don't really care. I don't really care what car you drive as long as you are doing what I want you to do with your very life. That the essence of your life is about telling people who are far from me about me, about the love that they can have, the joy that they can have, the peace that they can have, so that they can experience the God who created them. And I don't care if you do that in a big old SUV, or if you do that in a minivan, or if you do that in a subcompact that I can't even fit in. He just says, I want you to do that. Oh Lord, God, please, should I get the Lexus or should... Should I go with the American made or the foreign made? God's like, really? 
People in your neighborhood? People in your family? People that you work with? They're far from my heart? And this is consuming your life? There's something bigger for you. Something more important for you to be part of. And God's will is that a bunch of faceless, nameless nobodies get to do something extraordinary, to become somebody extraordinary. If they do what anybody could do by simply letting God use them. And so the whole idea of this little series is that the church and our church doesn't need a superstar or anything. What the church does not need is another superstar preacher to stand on, on a big stage with people throwing throngs of money at them. The church does not need another superstar uh, musician or a superstar drummer or a superstar leader in the house or a superstar writer or blogger or a superstar anything. What the church needs, what the body of Christ needs to reach the world that the mission's ever gonna go forward, it needs a bunch of people who are willing to sacrifice a whole bunch to make this happen. Metro will never be, be, be successful and never find its mission or complete its mission by getting the right guy on stage or the right singer behind the microphone or the right leader over our kids program or the right leader over our generation program. Heck, Metro won't succeed by hiring a better preacher or at least a better looking one. I can tell you that right now. It'll succeed when you and I start to see ourselves as part of the church and that you are the church. It's not an organization. It's not like the pastors. It's not like those people. It's not a building you go to. Listen to me, friends. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the living, breathing body of Christ. And, and I love what Pastor Louis Giglio says. I love this guy. He, he, by the way, we're stealing a whole bunch from him for, for this little series. It's, uh, a lot of it was inspired by his series called The People of the Fine Print. And truthfully, he's just a way better preacher than I am. And he is like way smarter. And there are some stuff that I just thought, man, our church needs to hear this. And so like, I'll thank him. I'm gonna send him a gift card or something. I don't know. But, but I'm telling you, uh, some of the things that he says about this idea that God has called you into his story is so amazing. And it is life-changing when you get a hold of it. And one of the things that he talks about in the kingdom of God is that, that there is this idea of visibility. And then there's this idea of viability. There's this idea of visibility, but there's this idea of viability. And a whole bunch of people have come up to me over the years and said, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do because I don't really see myself being in front where, where everybody's clapping and I don't really see myself standing in front of a stage or on a stage. And I'm just kind of a behind the scenes person. I'm kind of like a, a nobody kind of like drift in the background type of person. And, and I'm just not so sure that, that I can be used. Let me tell you something, friends. It is true that in the kingdom of God, there are people of visibility. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. But it is also true that in the kingdom of God, there are people with less visibility. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. But the viability of the church, listen, but the viability of the church becomes when, when each one of us who calls himself part of the church gets into the game and stop being a spectator sitting idly by. The viability of the church is when all of us decide to get in our lane and drive and do what God has called us to do, what God has built us to do, amen? Anybody hearing me? Are you guys hearing me? Because they clapped a lot better in the earlier service. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Listen, if somebody told you that you needed a heart valve surgery, 
like you got a bad heart and you need to change something out. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just guessing for you, but I'm thinking that you don't want any old Joe to come and like tell you you need a heart you know, transplant. You, you're probably going, I want the best. I want the name brand. I want a guy who's out there, whose like face is on some website in the nation saying he's one of the best at heart surgery. Am I right? I mean, like my guess is, is that you're just not going to let any old guy talk to you about your heart. You want a whole bunch of credentials. You want a whole bunch of letters. You want a whole bunch of visibility to that. But when that doctor so-and-so eventually says, you need a heart valve replacement, do you realize that there is a whole world of action that is set in motion by that? There's a whole world, a hundred people behind the scenes that swing into action in order that you might return to health one day, that you might have a successful surgery. Anybody in the room ever have a major surgery? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about then, right? Because when the doctor says go, there's a whole team of people that go. There was a check-in person and she was amazing. I mean, she just made you feel good right off the bat. And then there's the schedulers and then there's the insurance people. And, and then how amazing are the diagnostic people who are looking at your stuff and going, I think this is what's going on. I think this is what's going on. Then there's those people, I hate these people, the people who draw blood. I hate those people, but, but they're important in the deal, right? And so you got those people in there. Then, of course, you got the nurses and the assistant nurses and then the nurse practitioners. And, and then, of course, you have the lab technicians and, and the people at the pharmacy. And then you have the assistant pharmacist in the deal. And then, if we're really lucky, the chaplain gets in on the deal, right? Because it is a whole deal. You don't just want your body fixed. You want your soul taken care of during this, right? And so the chaplain gets in, but there's janitors and then there's, uh, then there's secretaries and, and, and then there's, uh, you know, there's that little old lady who's working at the floral shop in the lobby and listen they're all working for you so that you will get better it is an army of behind the scenes people and that's what it takes to move it forward and my guess is is that when you wake up from this surgery and some doctor looks you in the face and goes wow successful surgery you feeling better and you go yeah I'm feeling better and when you start to tell people about that and my guess is you're going to start telling people about that you are not going to lead with the idea of oh man Joe man he's an amazing janitor he came down every day and he mopped the floors up in my hallway it was amazing he was so incredible no my guess is you're going to go Dr. So-and-so was amazing my guess is you're going to go, man, without Dr. So-and-so, I would be dead right now. Dr. So-and-so saved my life, saved my life, saved my life. That's exactly what you're going to say. And why is that, friends? Because in our world, somebody always gets pushed to the top. Somebody's always seen with visibility. But that one person doesn't make it viable, does it? It takes a small army behind the scenes to move into action. Now, listen, friends, we want to become the kind of church where visibility of certain people is perfectly fine. As long as that visibility is met with humility. Come on. Right? I mean, we don't mind that. As long as their heart is right before God. Because listen, friends, um, we understand that visibility is important to make viability. And viability comes when all of us sacrifice, when all of us move it forward. You see, visibility combined with humility can be a powerful thing. can it? Visibility combined with a humble heart can, can literally move a business forward. It can move an entire community forward. It can move a church forward. It really can. But we know that it doesn't take one person. It takes a small army. And I want you to see this in the scripture. I want you to see this whole idea that God seems to remember that it's the behind the scenes people. Yeah, there's visible people, but it's behind the scenes people that make everything work, that make everything viable. And so if it's okay with you, I want to introduce you to one of these behind-the-scenes people. I'm so excited about this. Are you excited about meeting somebody new? Uh, and this is probably somebody that you're not going to recognize, and I don't think anybody's going to stand up and cheer when I tell you about who this person is. Uh, but the guy, most of the time, when we think of 
you know, somebody who God uses, especially back in the days of scripture, we think of, of these men that God used, but the guy that God used is not a guy at all. This guy is actually a Gale, and God literally brings a woman to the forefront of who God uses. Is that pretty cool? And so we're gonna learn her name in just a moment. So it's found in the book of Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter nine, I would love for you to get out a smartphone. I would love for you to bring a Bible or something like that. And I know, listen, I know people say this to me all the time. You put it up on the screen. I know, I know. That's for people who haven't learned how to Google their phone yet, all right? Because I would rather you take out your smartphone, which you do every single day, and I want you to find it for yourself. I want you to learn to follow along. I want you to learn to find it in a Bible, something like that. You all with me on that? I just think it's important that you start to feed yourself with this. Are you with me? Are you all with me? Okay, so Acts chapter nine, we're just gonna walk through this and this is amazing. This is amazing. We're gonna learn her name and her name is written as a world changer in the word of God that will never change. This is amazing to me that, that here we are thousands of years later and we're going to talk about her name. Whew. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Check this out. Here's what it says in chapter 9, verse 36, the book of Acts. It says, in Joppa, and that's a city, right? Joppa is a city. It's not a rock band. Uh, it says this. There was a disciple named, drumroll please, meet her. Ready, ready, drumroll, drumroll. Ready to meet her? Her name was Tabitha. Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, Tabitha is the Aramaic uh, version of her name, which is spoken by Jewish people and Hebrew people. And we could just call her Tabby. I like Tabby a lot. Tabby's a good name. Y'all with me on Tabby? Um, but her name was really Dorcas because she was Greek and she lived in a Greek town, a Greek Roman town. And she was probably bilingual. That's probably why she had two names in this case. But, but her name was Dorcas in, in Greek. And, and we could just call her Dork, but that doesn't, we could, you don't want to call her a dork. I mean, her name's in the, we don't want to do that, okay? I'm just kidding, but we'll just go with Tabby there, right? And there are only, a, listen to this, there are only a couple of verses that capture her story, but it changes the world. Just a couple of verses. It is so incredible. I hope you're ready for this. Here's what happens. It says, there was a disciple in the city of Joppa by the name of Tabitha, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. Did you hear that? She was always doing good and helping the poor. And God sees this and God says, write her name in my story right there. Write her name down. You better get that right. I'm telling you this because when everything goes away, when eventually all that we hold dear comes to the end, when this world burns away, do you realize that the word of God will remain forever? Long after you're dead and gone, the word of God will remain forever. And people a thousand years from now, if the world lasts that long, are still gonna be talking about this woman. And God says, I'm going to tell you why they're going to be talking about this woman. Her name is Tabitha, and she had a habit of doing what? Good. And what does that mean, friends? That means that she didn't give up on doing good. When the world got hard and when things got hard, she continued to what? Do good. She served. She got in the game. She wasn't afraid of life, and she wasn't like so beat down in the corner, worried about herself all the time. She was always doing good, and she remembered the under-resourced. She, she remembered the marginalized. She was always doing good. And God says to Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, you better write that down. <laughs> you better get her name in there. So that people sitting 2,000 years from now in the city of Taylor, and as they're learning about this, this story of being behind the scenes, I want her name brought to the light. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. 
And then it says this, the story all changes. There's one verse and it's hype and it's good and it's big. It's like, yay, Tabitha, she's doing good. But then verse 37, it all switches right away. It's like crazy. It's like about that time she became sick and what is it? She died. I mean, she just became sick and now she's gone. She's dead and her body was prepared for burial and they washed it and they placed it in an upstairs room. Now listen to this, verse 38. This gets a little crazy. Lydda was near Joppa. Now it's another town. It's another city not too far away. And, and so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, now pause for a second. Last week, we learned about a guy named Saul who had his name changed to Paul. Anybody remember that? Saul became Paul and Saul goes from being this this man who was vile, this man who was a persecutor of Christians, put to death Christian people, and he has this encounter with God, and he has this, this conversion. Anybody remember this story? He has this conversion, and something happens big in his soul where he gives his life to God, and the very Christians that he was persecuting, now he becomes a Christian, and now he goes into the cities, and he starts to speak in such a bold and powerful way, and as a matter of fact, we learn later that God, as he began to preach boldly, that God came alongside him, him and did some extraordinary things, like extraordinary things, like miraculous things that we normally don't see. And so we know about this Paul guy, but there's another guy who was with Jesus from almost the very beginning. And his name is not Paul. His name is Peter. And Peter was out preaching boldly and God did the same thing with Peter. It's like when he preached boldly, God would come alongside him and Peter would, would have this opportunity to be used by God that extraordinary things would happen, things that are not ordinary in any way. We would call those things miraculous, right? And they hear that Peter is in the town not too close. Now remember, Tabitha is dead. Tabitha is gone and they love Tabby. And so they're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And check this out. They sent two men to Lydda, two guys. That's amazing. That's amazing. We reread right over that, but that's two guys that will never know their names. They are behind the scenes, but if these two guys wouldn't have gotten their old pickup truck and put up, you know, filled it with gas and drove down the road and got them, do you realize we would not be reading this story right about now? Somebody's got to like, woo, that's awesome. Because behind the scenes, people really matter. And somebody in this church, this, this team of people said, hey, we need a couple guys to go get Peter, we need to go get Peter and bring him back. And so these guys go and they go after Peter and listen to this. It says, they sent two men to, to him and they urged him, please come at once. And I'm guessing here's what they thought. And I don't know this for sure. I'm just kind of reading into the story, but it kind of makes sense to me that, that the, the, the Christians in this town that were kind of around Tabitha and all that was going on in Joppa, they're like going, whoa, we've heard of this guy named Paul and we've heard of this guy named Peter, and they're like doing big things for God, and God's doing extraordinary things. God's even doing miraculous things from what we know about. And so let's go get Peter because maybe if we can get Peter to come here, maybe God would do a miracle. You think that's a reasonable thought? I think that's exactly what they were thinking. They were like, go get Peter because we've got to do something right now. Right now. And so they go after old Pete, and this is amazing. Here's what happens. They go find Peter and they text him and say, hey, we're on our way to pick you up. And verse 39, it says this. Uh, Peter went with them and when he, was, he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room where, where she was being laid out for burial, right? And it says all the, what is this word? Widows. All of the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas or Tabitha had made while she was still with him. And so he comes in and we kind of see the full story here because when Tabitha dies, she's surrounded by all of these 
widows, and, and we're kind of speculating a little bit here, but it seems to make sense to me because the text never records she was surrounded by her husband. It, it doesn't say that she was surrounded by her children or her family. So it seems to indicate to me that Tabitha was a widow herself, and this was her community. This was like her life group. This was the people that she was doing life with. And so all of these people, Peter gets there and like, hey, what's going on? What's going on? I heard that Tabby's dead. What's going on? And they go, oh, we're so distraught. And tears start to flow, and they start going, look at the clothes she made. Look at the clothes she made. Look at this shirt. These are the best pair of jeans I've ever had in my life. And Tabby made them. They're like made by Tabby. It's like a designer. Tabby. Right? Look at my, look at my coat. Look at my, my, I needed a quilt on my bed and she made me a quilt on my bed. Look, look, here's the robe she made for me. And we're not talking about just any old woman here. We're talking about a legend. We're talking about a great woman. And, and, and so apparently what she did was she was a really great seamstress. And she just didn't use her seamstress abilities for herself. She didn't like just say, hey, I got a really cool clothing line. I'd like to put that out there in the world. She didn't like open up one of these cool online stores. She didn't start eBaying her stuff. She didn't like go, hey, look at me, look at me. What did she do? She says, what I'm going to do with this gift that God has given to me, this clothing type of gift, this ability to make things for other people, I'm going to serve the least of these. I'm going to serve some, some people who, who are in trouble in this world. And so when Peter gets there, they're showing off all of her stuff. And, and listen to this, they were distraught because the person that saw them and valued them and cared about them and loved them was now dead. And so their hearts were breaking. And she was a hero to them. And, and they're hoping in this moment that Peter would come along and would do something extraordinary. Maybe. A miracle, right? Because in their mind, this isn't just somebody who's dead and gone. They're thinking, how are we going to live without her? How are we going to replace her? She was at the center of what was going on. She was behind the scenes. She was a seamstress, just someone in the back room. But, but she was meeting their needs. And friends, listen, pause for a second. Don't you want that to be said about you? When you're dead and gone, don't you want people to be sad that you're gone? Come on. And not just because you're gone, but because you played such an amazing, significant role in their life. When they look at you and when they think about you and you're gone, they're going, I don't know what we're going to do without this person. I don't know what we're going to do without my mom. I don't know what we're going to do without my brother. I'm not sure what we're going to do without so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Isn't that the kind of life you want? That people are looking at you and going, wow, they are so significant. They are so important. I'm going to miss them and I'm not sure what we're going to do without them now that they're gone. Don't you, friends? Come on. Yeah, I think so. So check out what happens next. Verse 40, it says, Peter sent them all out of the room. He gets there and all these ladies are crowded around. He's like, ladies, you're driving me crazy. Get out of here, right? And he says, go, go, go. And it says, listen, listen what happens. He says, turning, excuse me, back it up. He says, it says he got on his knees and he does what? He prays. He's like, God, I can't do anything about this, but you can. It's not me. God, you need to do something because I can't do anything about this. So he prays. And then turning toward the dead woman, I love this, turning toward the dead woman, he just goes, Tabitha, get up. <laughs> now, I'm thinking like if I walk in the room and I say, Tabitha, get up, not much is gonna happen, but this is what happens here. It's like she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. I'm thinking I would have got like a wow or something in the audience here right now. I'm thinking like, that's freaky. That's crazy. 
I mean, maybe it's like you guys see this every day. I don't see this every day. Maybe you guys see this every day. But I'm thinking when I'm reading this, I'm going, this is crazy nuts. This is crazy nuts, right? But this is what it says. She was dead. And by the way, this book was written by a doctor. Dr. Luke wrote this book. I'm thinking he knows what a dead person looks like. And he says, she's dead. But now she's not dead. And listen to what he does. Verse 41, this is great. She sits up and she goes, hey, who are you? Oh, Peter, great. I've heard about you. And in verse 41, it's like this. He says, he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers. Listen to this. Especially the widows, not her husband, not a family, her friends, the very people she cared for because she herself was like in the middle of all that, right? And presented her to them alive. And so what do we learn about this Tabitha lady, what do we learn from her more importantly? First is this, is that she was the very first Greek woman believer mentioned in the scripture by name. That's pretty big. I mean, you might be going like, oh, it's a big deal, but no, it's a big deal. Because if you remember the backstory to the Christian faith, it came through uh, the line of the Jews and the earliest believers were Jewish and the earliest believers thought that they were the chosen ones. It was, it was the father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's our father. We're the heirs of faith. We're the ones who get all the special privileges from God. They called themselves the chosen people. And so when Jesus came, they thought early on that Jesus was coming for the chosen people. And that makes sense, right? But God, let me tell you something. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God did not send his, G, uh, his son Jesus into the world just for a select few. Do you realize this? He sent his son Jesus into the world so that everyone who believes on him will be saved. Everyone. Now, pause. You guys pay me a whole lot of money to do some very deep study. So I deeply studied this idea of everyone. And guess what I came up with? Everyone means everyone. Everyone, when you bow your heart before God and it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter what your struggle is, it doesn't matter what you're trapped in right now, it doesn't matter what, what family you come from, what economic group you come from, what color you are, how tall you are, how short you are, how skinny you are, how fat you are. If you bow before the king, his name is Jesus, if you bow before him, he is gonna show you the grace of God. He is gonna bring forgiveness and hope and direction into your life. That's what he does for every single person. And so what we learn from, from Tabitha being included as the first Greek woman is that we learn that the church, the body of Christ, what's happening right here, the church isn't an insider event. Did you hear me on this? It's not an insider event. The church is not something uh, that, Christ, that Christians huddle up into, but everyone is welcomed here. Everyone, our doors are wide open. And when they get here, our job is to go out into the world. Our job is to say, this belongs to the world, that the message of Jesus is for everyone. This isn't an insider deal. Y'all with me on this? Y'all with me? Come on. And then, second thing we learn, and you may want to write this one down. The church isn't a good old boy club. Yeah. This isn't a men only type of thing. God is putting women into his story on purpose very early on in his story. And, and we are all citizens of heaven, men and women. Amen? It is not a good old boy club. As a matter of fact, there is a place in the scriptures that says that in the kingdom of God, uh, it's neither male nor female, Jew or Greek. And it's not because they have a gender identification struggle. Seriously. People use this to defend like, oh, in the Bible it says that, no, 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 does that mean what? No, no, no. It's, it's the idea that it's not one or the other. It's both. Yeah. 
It's both. Both are welcomed here. There's no confusion about who they are, men and women. The confusion is, is what invitation do women have to be part of the body of Christ? And this is saying that, that my daughter has an invitation to the Spirit of God, just like I do. That my wife and my daughter are part of the church just like I am. And that the women of the church have opportunity to be used by God just like I do. That God is the chooser of the gift giver and the gift giver. Amen? Y'all with me on this? And it says this. Here's the third thing that we learn about uh, from Tabitha. This is big. I think this is huge. That the church just isn't about believing, but about being a disciple. Oh boy, this is going to get sticky. It says that there was a disciple in Joppa. Not just somebody who kind of believed. Not somebody who just came to church. Let me tell you something. You get written into the history of God. When you go beyond just checking some label off in your mind or in your heart that says, oh, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Buddhist. Or I'm a Christian because I'm not a Muslim. I'm a Christian because I'm not an atheist. No, 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 no. You get written into the story of God when when you become a disciple, when you choose to follow Jesus, when you decide to submit to him and follow his leadership for your life, that's how you change the world. Come on. That's how you change the world. That's how God uses you, when you submit at that level to him. And really, this is the next thing. This is the fourth thing that we learned from from Dorcas. Uh, This is amazing. You know, she was this caregiving person, right? She cared about people in life. And and so she got into the game. And this is the third thing. Listen, for the church, the church, and by the way, did I mention earlier that you are the church? Did I mention that? We, we, We understand that, right? So when I say the church, that's you. If you're part of the body of Christ, this is for you. It says this, that the church, I want you to know this, the church isn't about coming and sitting, but about going and doing. Come on. It's not about coming and just checking it out and going, oh, I hope the pastor knows what he's talking about tonight because last week wasn't so good. I hope we finally got a good band up there this week. The church is not about coming and sitting around and hoping to be entertained. The church is about coming, getting equipped, and then going out and doing something with it. That's what it's about, friends. And one of the things about being a widow in this culture, of course, is that if if you were a widow, you didn't have family to take care of you. You didn't have people who had your back. You didn't have Social Security. You didn't have Medicaid. You didn't have the Association of Retirement People to to give you some sort of discount, you know, when you go out to Applebee's, right? that, That wasn't part of the culture. When you were a widow, you were alone. You were broken. You were at risk. You were marginalized. But this is about the church going to the margin. This is about the church reaching outward, right? And so how does this happen? Just mysteriously? Does it just kind of, woo, oh, wow, that's cool. People are getting included in the church. No, no, no. It happens when those of us who were once on the outside look backwards to those who are, now that we're on the inside, look backwards to those still on the outside and we reach back and we grab them and start to nudge them toward the inside. That's how it works. And let me tell you, there are those of us in this room Maybe you've gone through a divorce and you remember the pain of that and you remember the brokenness of that. And in the middle of that, somehow, in some way, and I'm not even sure and you're not even sure, but somehow, in some way, God met you there and he pulled you and you felt on the margin. You felt like you were outside. You felt that there was nowhere in the body of Christ for you. But somehow, in some way, 
through the presence of Jesus that you are pulled back into the middle and you're an insider. And what that means is that now that you're on the inside, you're supposed to reach back and God's going to bring somebody along who understands that you understand their pain and you're going to reach out to them on the outside and you're going to say, you don't need to be on the outside, you need to be on the inside. You all with me on this? And this is for those who struggle with addiction. If you've been there through the pain of addiction or you've been there through the pain of losing a child or maybe the pain of losing your job or your home and you've gone through some things, this means that at one point you felt on the outside, you felt broken, you felt marginalized, you felt like, where is God? But God somehow met you and now God's gonna expect you to reach back and bring somebody else along to the inside. Somebody needs to say, amen, amen. amen. And Tabitha uh, being a widow, she was on that margin. She was on that edge and she looks around her city and she says, not under my care. These widows aren't gonna march around my city looking like they're second class. These widows are, aren't gonna walk around like they're, they're so broke they can't even afford a nice little something every once in a while. And I don't know, maybe she had some resources. I don't know, maybe she had some savings. I, we're not really sure, but she went to Joanne Fabric, got the 50% off coupon and did the whole deal. And she comes with all this stuff and she starts going, let me come up, come here. You're not, you're not looking so good. Let, you come over here right now and we're gonna fix you up a little something, something. And she reaches in to the margin and she does something about it. And she does what she's created to do. And she gives her best gifts away to somebody else. Tabitha says these widows deserve dignity. These widows deserve hope. And the church is a place where people should come and grow so that they can go and do. That's what God's called us to. And the kingdom of God is advanced when people like you and me decide to do with the gifts that God has given to us when we decide to give them back to him. And we just say, God, I'm just a nobody. I'm just faceless. I'm just a roofer. I'm just a mailman. I'm just a teacher. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a mother. I'm just a photographer. I'm just a mechanic. We say, God, I want to give it to you. I know you can use me. I want to give it to you. There's one more thing that we learned from Tabitha. Just one more quick thing. You may want to write this one down. You see, Tabitha, her story, it is the cause of salvation all over this city. I mean, and you would expect that, right? I mean, some lady, she's dead and she comes back to life. I'm thinking people are going to talk about that. Am I right? I and mean, people start to talk about that. And she uses her story as leverage in the kingdom of God. It's amazing. And here's how it says in verse 42. It's quite simple, but it is amazing. It says this, they became known, this became known, excuse me, this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. And I'm thinking, no kidding, right? No kidding. But what's striking to me, it says that many people believed in the Lord. I would love for it to have said every single solitary person believed in the Lord, but it didn't go that way, which is a little bit strikingly odd to me. I mean, who's looking at this and sees a dead woman come back to life and go, eh, I don't know. Right? I mean, you think about what's going on. I mean, uh, people are running into each other and they go, hey, how's Tabitha? Hey, I, I saw Tabitha the other day at the uh, marketplace. It was great. I mean, she, we started talking and she says like, hey, I was... Uh, I was dead, but now I'm, I'm alive. And I'm like, yeah, I knew you were dead, but this is kind of strange. Who goes, who, this is just kind of strange? Who says that? 
you know, like, you can just see this kind of playing out, right? I mean, uh, you're like, hey, I heard about Tabitha. And, oh, there's Tabitha in the marketplace. Tabitha, what went on? Well, see, let me tell you the story. I was really getting sick, and I knew it was heading down, and I just couldn't break the cough. And I just, I knew my body was shutting down. And all of a sudden, like, they told me I was going to die. There was a doctor there. His name was Luke. He was looking at the whole deal. And I don't know what it was, but they're, like, checking this out. And they're like, you're going to die. And so I died. That's what they told me. I died. I died. But then they went and got this guy. His name was Peter. And Peter knew about Jesus, the same Jesus that I follow. And, and he comes and he prays over me. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, my eyes open up. I sit up. He takes me by the hand and presents me to all the ladies. And it's like, wow, I'm alive again. That's crazy. Nobody says, huh, I, I'd like a little bit more proof. I would like a little bit more concrete evidence. There's just not enough here to go on. Who says that? But friends, there are people in this very room who you've been coming to a place like this for maybe a little while. This isn't like your first time at the rodeo here. And you've been sitting in these seats or some other seat like this and, and, and you feel at times that there is something kicking around in your soul. Anybody ever feel that way? Come on, just be honest for a second. You feel something stirring and you're going, I don't like the way this feels, but it feels kind of different. And, and all of a sudden you're going, wow, this could be God speaking to me. I'm not really sure. I'm not much into the God thing. I'm not really sure. But listen, you sat in these seats and, and something is happening in your soul. And I'm just telling you right now that is the spirit of God beginning to work on you. And he's beginning to stir inside of you. And there are some people in this room who go, I just need more evidence. And I'm thinking, how much more evidence do you need? God just keeps knocking. God just keeps calling. There's something that keeps bringing you back here. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. And, and how much more evidence do you need? Do you need to die first? Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want you to die in order to have to find out who Jesus is. It is much better to find out who Jesus is first. Y'all with me on this? And then there's other people in this room that would go, man, oh, man. I'm telling you right now, if, if, if I would have a Tabitha experience, I would tell everybody. I mean, if I was dead and somebody says, you're dead, and all of a sudden somebody says, now you're alive, I am calling my Uncle Joe, who I have not called in like six years. And I'm telling everybody, I'm telling the office, I'm telling my neighbor who I don't even like, I'm like stopping in at the corner store going, hey, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Would you check that out? And they're going to go, huh? And you're going to go, yeah, the doctor said I was dead and I was like being laid out for burial. But all of a sudden this guy named Peter comes along and, and they prayed over me in the name of Jesus and Jesus' power stirred in me and rose me from the dead. I think I am telling everybody about that. And some of you are going, yeah, I think I would too. But isn't there a whole bunch of us who felt dead in our soul? Isn't there a whole bunch of us in this room who felt beat down by our sin, captured by our sin, broken by our sin, dead inside of our soul, and all of a sudden somebody told you about Jesus or you came and sat in one of these chairs and you heard about Jesus or somebody prayed for you or maybe your grandma came to you and told you about Jesus and something came alive in your soul? Isn't there anybody who's been dead here who's now alive? Come on, anybody in the house? I think so. And so let me tell you what we learned from, from Tabitha here about the church. The church is this, is this place for dead people to come alive. The church is the place where dead souls, lifeless hearts, 
broken minds, broken marriages, broken souls, broken friendships, broken addictions, all of this stuff of life can be brought back to life. That's what the church is for. And we see this lived out in this seamstress named Tabitha. Now maybe you're a sewer and you're like, wow, I do sew, that's really awesome. Where am I gonna use sewing? We're doing trunk or treat. You can sew. I can't, right? Let me tell you something, though. I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your call is. I don't know what God has stirred inside of you. I don't know what he's placed inside of you. But he did not call you to be a spectator in the kingdom. He wants you in the game. He wants you. And so I want to introduce you to somebody in the life of our church who is... In many respects, you're going to say, wow, that's, she's common and ordinary. And you're going to go, man, nobody's going to stand up and cheer her. Oh, you don't even know. I want to introduce you to somebody who has, who has worked behind the scenes in the life of our church for years. And God has used this woman in extraordinary ways. I want you to meet her. Hey Metro, uh, we have been talking about this idea of behind the scenes and how it takes an entire army of people to move the kingdom of God forward. And so we wanted to uh, highlight somebody uh, who is working behind the scenes, who's doing an amazing job, uh, but we want to do it in a little bit of a different way. Uh, if you remember a couple months ago, we presented this idea of the love movement through Generation City. They wanted to raise some money and uh, do something incredible with it. So we're gonna put this idea of the love movement together with behind the scenes. And so, uh, Chris, you're the brainchild of the whole love movement. Uh, what is going on? Tell us about that, and then we'll give the big reveal of what we're gonna do today. So our big idea for our students is we don't want them to just shut up and sit, but get up and go. Be Jesus to the community. And so every year we do this love movement where we challenge students, we're gonna show how big God is and what grace really looks like and just jump into someone's life. And we're just gonna give big because we serve a big God. Last year we did the, the roof thing, right? Yep. We raised some money and everybody came out and did the roof and that was awesome. And so this year you guys had a brand new idea. Yeah, the idea was uh, let's try to raise as much money as we can and give away a car. Um, and so we thought, hey, let's throw a, a a worship party and just kind of have a, a moment where we invite the church to it. And we thought we'd get, you know, uh, four or five grand to give away a car. That'd be a nice car. And uh, man, what Metro did was really unbelievable. We ended up raising $18,000. Uh, so there was like $9,000 or so raised and somebody matched that. Uh, one family matched that in our church. So uh, pretty exciting. And so uh, we put our heads together. And we decided that we were not going to do just one car, uh, but we would do a couple cars and do some other things with the money too. So we are going to bless a whole bunch of families. And we're going to show you that over the next couple weeks, uh, next few weeks around here at Metro. Uh, but today we're going to do our first car reveal. And so we picked somebody who serves behind the scenes here at Metro uh, and has a, a need in their life. And so we wanted to honor those who serve here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, ladies, uh, I got you here because this woman serves in your area. So yeah. tell us who it is. All right, the announcement. Everybody drum roll. Mary Jo Harris. <laughs> 
Yes, Mary Jo, we love her so much. And yeah. she has been around in Metro Kids serving for years and years. Yeah. Six years to be exact. Yeah. And Mary Jo came in with a willing heart. She uh, was loving others so much, but man, yeah. does she love those babies. Yeah. She loves kids so very much. Yeah. If you want to know Mary Jo, you're going to know about her grandbaby. You're going to know about her love for NASCAR. And you're going to know that she will be the first one to sign up to serve in the life of our church yeah. for any area that's offering yeah. child care. So yeah. she is phenomenal. We love her so yeah. much. And so uh, we are excited today, right, to go mm -hmm. give Mary Jo uh, not a new car, but it is a really, really nice car. And so let's go honor her and thank her for serving behind the scenes. And uh, you two ladies are going to go with me, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, let's go do it. Come All on. Right. All right. This is going to be sweet. Let's see if we can figure out how to drive this thing. Uh, we are looking at a PT Cruiser here. Uh, it's made by Chrysler and uh, it has 57,000 miles on this. And it is like a beautiful, kind of a new ride here. And we are going to give this to Mary Jo Harris. So let's go. So the first thing we are going to do is we are going to give Mary Jo a full tank of gas because we do not want to deliver this car on empty. So I just learned something. I never knew this. I'm going to teach all of us something. There is actually a little arrow on your empty full gauge, and it points to the side of the car the gas cap is in. Or, and that just amazes me. I never knew that. I've been driving for like 30 years. OK, so guys, uh, we are going to go give this car to Mary Jo. Stephanie, Tiffany, come on up here, you guys. Uh, Mary Jo, Mary Jo, come here for a second. Where are you going? Where are you going, Mary Jo? You got plans tonight? Yeah, Come on. Well, <laughs> we got we got different plans for you. Uh, you see this little PT cruiser over here? Uh, I don't know if you heard, but the, the church did this thing called the Love Movement, and uh, we wanted to be generous as a church, and we wanted to honor uh, one of the behind-the-scenes workers at our church, and you have cared for our kids for so long that we want to give you this sweet little car, this little PT Cruiser. So we got 57,000 miles, and it has your name on it, and we love you. <laughs> so let's go check it out. You want to go check it out? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh, so let's, what do you think? Is it your color? It'll work. It'll work, she says. Yeah. Gee, Joseph, I knew you had something up. <laughs> so check it out. It is clean and it is beautiful. Isn't that sweet? So, so oh, this church loves you. Uh, Mary Jo, why we got you here? Listen, you have served us for so long with Metro Kids. You've taken care of so many of our kids. And uh, why do you do it? How do you do it? Because that's what God wants me to do. <laughs> that's good enough, isn't and it? And I love, I love the kids, and you guys are all so great. You welcomed me into, into the church with no questions asked. Yeah. I was uncomfortable at the church that I left, and Joseph, when I started coming to this church, it, it, you didn't ask any questions. You didn't care. Well, that's how we and roll. We take anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, go in there and check it out. See what you like. Oh, 
It's all yours, Mary Jo, completely paid for, and we're gonna help you with the insurance as well. <laughs> Way to go, Metro. Way to go. But I thought you was gonna tell me I was gonna be a grandma again. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Nice. Go ahead, start it up. It's got air. It has air conditioning. We went all out. Power window. Come on, Ellie. You want to come with grandma? Uh oh, uh oh. You want to get in the car with grandma? Come on. You like oh, grandma nice. I think that'll fit a baby seat or two. Well, Mary, we love you, and this church loves you. Um, we are grateful for your service behind the scenes. Way to go. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Say thank you, Jesus. Say thank you, Jesus. Say thank you, Jesus.